Dylan Bowman. That's right, Dylan Bowman of Free Trail joins us in season one of DFL Before DNF podcast by Borderlands Trail Running, where we look at late race survival. A lot of things unite us on the trail, but one of them is that we're out there suffering. And we all hope to push through it, but sometimes we succumb. So how do the great, consistent finishers do it? Well, we chatted with Dylan about that, about free trail, about family, about balancing it all, still finding time to toe the line at races like Leadville or Hard Rock. Why don't you join us? Listen in. Here we go. All right, Dylan Bowman. I'm a big fan. I'm super thankful that you'd take time to uh, to do this with me. Um, let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, already gave you a little bit, but here's here's a little bit more. I am the worst hundred miler in the country. I have yet to find my equal. I've towed the line of eight hundred milers, and I've only finished one. I've DNF'd seven. I, I believe that's roughly a twelve percent finish rate. But I'm I'm all in. Like I, I still can't imagine not trying again. I'm 40, almost 41. And so I'm going for Zion here in April and I'm on the hunt for advice. I, you know, at this point, you know, I feel like I'm a, I'm a problem solver. I'm a thinker and I have done everything I can and I'm just out of, I'm out of it and I don't have any more solutions. And so I'm on the hunt for, for good advice. And, you know, to bring my audience up to speed before we, before I want, before they understand fully why I'm coming for your advice, let's, let's get to know you a little bit. Does that sound okay? Sounds great. All right. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I think uh, you born in Reno, grew up in Colorado, something Precisely. like that. Yeah, my my folks were living in Lake Tahoe. Oh, nice. Which you know feels appropriate now at this point in my life. My folks were living yeah. in Lake Tahoe when I was born, but I was born at the hospital in Reno. When I was two months old, my dad got a new job in Boulder, Colorado, and so oh. my folks relocated. There, when I was only a couple months old, I have no memories, obviously, of living in the Lake Tahoe area, even though it's become yeah. one of my favorite places to right. visit and to run. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of maybe a biological feeling just knowing that uh, I spent at least the first few weeks of my life there. But yeah, I spent the bulk of my childhood in Colorado, really all the way up through college in Colorado and have been sort of bouncing around the West now settled in the Bay area in Marin County, arguably the greatest trail running destination in the world. And nice. I'm never, ever leaving Marin <laughs> County ever again. We made that mistake once and now we're back yeah. and we're never leaving again. Okay. So most, I mean, I don't know much about Marin County other than I, it, I do feel like it's odd that you have moved there later in life and that you're not like a legacy Marin County guy but is that is that true you don't did you have any ties there you just ended up there no so here's the story i met my wife while we were both living in aspen and i had a good job in aspen and very much and i my running career was taking off at the time and very much viewed myself as being a lifelong roaring fork valley resident my wife was there just after college more in the ski bum track wasting time recreating, uh, you know, while she figured out what she wanted to do professionally and get a real job. 
obviously it's hard to find a real job in these resort towns and yeah. a quote unquote real job. Obviously there's a lot of people who build cool lifestyles and cool careers there, but uh, it's mostly hospitality oriented and she had other mm-hmm. ambitions and she convinced me as I was kicking and screaming to reluctantly move to San Francisco together to try it out. And my one stipulation was, okay, I'll come with you as long as we live in Marin County. Because at that point, the North Face 50 Mile Championship had been taking place and I'd I'd done it a couple of times. So I knew that there was good running there. And my running career, like I said, was sort of taking off at the time. So that was my stipulation. Yes, I'll come with you as long as we live in Marin. And uh, she agreed. And yeah, we had five of the best years of our lives living here. And then we... We left, and we view that as sort of a mistake, and that's why we're back now and never ever leave it again. Yeah. Okay. So your your life has been in like these these unbelievable trail running places, Reno to Boulder uh, to Marin County. What uh, what what was in between? So you go from growing up maybe high school Boulder. You're a lacrosse guy, right? Yep. So yeah. Where, so where did you do that? I played lacrosse both in high school and college. And so I like spent my whole life in Colorado and was always a team sport oriented guy. And while I was in college, I went up to Aspen to work because you can just get seasonal jobs. Right. And because I was playing lacrosse, I didn't really have time to get a job during my collegiate years. So I would go up to Aspen in both a winter break around Christmas and also, you know, for the three months of summer break and save some money. I cultivated some connections there. And then after I graduated from college, because I had had some professional connections in Aspen, I figured, oh, okay, I'll move up there. Not really sure what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And then I discovered running at a point in my life when I had I was really missing the structure of organized sport and all the benefits that it had brought into my life, the friendships, the discipline, the health. At that time, I was partying super hard, yeah. sort of losing touch with the fitness that I had worked hard to cultivate throughout the course of my life. And so I just started running to stay healthy and then learned about Anton Kropichka, learned about the Leadville 100, the snowball yeah. started rolling, and here we are 15 years later, and it's been the centerpiece of my life for a long time. Okay, so you're you know you're super fit. I mean, lacrosse. I got to imagine probably like soccer to to some degree. Like it's constant running, but there's also like upper body stuff happening. So you're there's a lot of fitness, like cardiovascular and muscular. And you're switching to trail running. So maybe even just to start to head toward like the mentality piece of it. Would you attribute your success in trail running to anything related to lacrosse? Yeah, in a couple of ways. Number one, one of the things you just touched on is that lacrosse is such a beautiful game and it's a perfect mix between physicality and finesse. You do have to have a certain amount of aerobic fitness, but you also have to have a lot of athleticism. You know, it's a game of momentum. It can be very fast. My job and role on the team was really to be the hustle guy, the guy that covered ground and hustled for ground balls and, you know, made plays in transition and played both sides of the field. I was a midfielder in college. And uh, so in that respect, like just cultivating competitiveness, learning how to, you know, train and compete and contribute to a team, that's all super valuable. But then I think as you translate to trail running, as it compares to 
running on the track or going into the road marathon circuit or something like that. That athleticism, mm -hmm. I think, is something that really benefited me because I had had years of, you know, cutting back and forth and practicing footwork and things like that so that when you're running down a technical trail or on a ridgeline, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel quite as foreign as if you grew up just running in a straight line your whole yeah. life. And so in that way, I think, you know, the physical component of it carried over, but then also the years of just being a competitor and, yeah. um, you know, cultivating the discipline that it takes to work towards a goal and be single-minded towards something, both those things really translated to my running career. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing for someone, you know, from my perspective to imagine, you know, what our starting line experiences, how they would be so different from one another. Like you're standing at a starting line contemplating victory. Like, you know, you're doing the calculus on how do I, how do I win this thing? Right? Like what, what is your starting line? How would you characterize your starting line? Like what's going through your head from that moment? Do you have, do you have a playbook? Like I think about, you know, you doing hard rock or your first Leadville, like, are you coming in it with a strategy and I'm going to pick it up at mile 73 and I'm going to start, you know, you know what I mean? You know, I think this is actually a weakness I've always had in that I've never been somebody who intentionally sits down and sketches out a race plan. And I yeah. really only raced in one style for the course of my entire career, which was basically like stay in contact, don't get too far back, but I was never a front runner, right? Yeah. I was yeah. never the type of guy that tried to assert my authority into the race in the early miles. And now with guys like Jim Walmsley and Zach Miller famously taking the opposite approach and putting pressure on the field straight out of the gates, I've always just really admired that because that's terrifying to me, you know, where yeah. they feel a motivation of like people are chasing me or whatever. I would find that overwhelmingly depressing or scary or anxiety inducing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my strategy was always like, okay, you know, just try and run your race, be sustainable, but maintain contact. So in the case that you have an opportunity, you can hit the gas and you can try and take advantage of an opportunity. Yeah. So that led to me having, I think, you know, a really consistent long career, just employing that strategy. But that was always like my mindset at a start line was, not necessarily, okay, let's visualize the moment that I've been thinking about for the last six months where I'm going to make my move. Right. It was mostly just like, let's copy paste the playbook that I've run at every single race. Every and time. occasionally it went super well. Occasionally yeah. it was just average. Very rarely was it a disaster until more recently in my career. <laughs> um, and that consistency is something that I'm proud of. But yeah, sometimes I do think that I could have been a little bit more bold. Yeah, I Okay, so if we go into your your first hundred mile attempt at Leadville, prior to Leadville, what was your longest race? Fifty miles. Okay, so you're you're doubling it, and you're are you approaching it like a competitor, or are you just like, hey, I'm going to see what this is like? Not explicitly. Like I knew I wanted to finish, and actually, the funny thing is, I knew at the start line that I what that there was nothing that was going to stop me that I was going really? to finish. Yeah, absolutely, I knew it. I knew it, and mm -hmm. I had been thinking about that day for a year and a half, probably at that okay. point before I finally yeah. arrived at the start line. And because what I described earlier, where I sort of had a kind of loss of identity after my 
lacrosse career came to a close, this had sort of become my identity. It became my single-minded purpose in life for a little while was to do yeah. Leadville. It just totally mm. captured my imagination and became yeah. the architecture and the organizing force through which the rest of my life proceeded, mm. you know, in the same way that I use lacrosse to be sort of the center of my life yeah. when I was a team sport athlete. And so yeah. when I got to the start line, it was that feeling of like, I'm finally here, let's do it. I can't wait. And there's nothing that's going to stop me. Yeah. And I think that's why I was able to finish third place in my first attempt, which totally yeah. surprised me. I didn't expect to be on the podium. My family yeah. was even more surprised. I had a huge <laughs> crew caravanning around the course. Of course, I'm a yeah. Colorado boy, so I had a lot of support. Yeah. And everybody that was there was completely shocked. And yeah, it remains one of those you know, peak moments in life that you think about all the time that, you know, you'll never recreate, but is a really, really special memory. Yeah. Who, who got first and second ahead of you? Do you remember? Duncan Callahan, legend from Gunnison, Colorado, who's a two-time <laughs> champion of Leadville and Zeke Tiernan, Zeke Tiernan, who is also, you know, like a, an amazing athlete himself. He was an all American at the university of Colorado and he was really, he turned out to be really important, especially amazing. in those early days of my career. He ended up becoming sort of like a mentor of mine after that race. Okay. You're standing at the finish line or the starting line rather. And you think there's nothing that's going to stop me. Were you, was that a strategy? You know what I mean? Like, was that how you were like, okay, I mean, this is the right mentality to have, or that was just like a, like in this like calm moment of like, I'm, I'm going to finish. What it was, was a supreme lack of fear, I think. Mm. And wow. I think it was just born out of what I just described in that, like I had been waiting for that opportunity for a while. And yeah. I think yeah. I had an intuition because I had always been good at running, even though I never ran in an organized sense. I never ran track. I never ran cross country. But as a field sport athlete, that was my strength. You know, nobody could keep up with me. I always made the defense tired, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So I, I always knew it was a strength of mine. And so maybe it was a deep intuition of like, actually, this is this is the sport that you were born to pursue. Yeah. Um, who knows? But no, it wasn't something that I, you know, purposefully cultivated. I wasn't doing mm. mental training exercises to have that confidence, but it was just a, I'm so happy to be here. I've been thinking yeah. about this for such a long time. Here's your opportunity. Let's go take advantage of it. Yeah, man, that's great. Do you, so fast forward to the, to the other end of the, you know, the bookshelf, the other book end of your most recent hundred mile attempt. <laughs> was that hard rock? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what's ha what's going through your head at that starting line? Dude, okay, this is actually, this is fun. And, you know, I haven't ever put these pieces together, the first 100-miler yeah. and the last 100-miler and the yeah. differences between the two because... Well, is it the last 100-miler or the most recent 100-miler? Most recent, yeah, okay. the last okay. one that I've completed. But the last yeah. two races that I've completed have both been disastrous. One was at the <laughs> Grand Raid at Reunion Island, oh, and yeah. the last one was Hard Rock 2023. Got it. And I think now I have maybe 1,300-mile finishes in 14 starts, I think. So I've been pretty consistent. Slightly better than my finish rate. <laughs> Slightly better, but <laughs> we'll turn it around. Yeah, anyway, we'll get there. One of the things I talked about in some of my pre-race interviews at Hard Rock this year was that I was filled with fear. 
So going back to what I just said about uh, Leadville, wow. I had zero fear in 2010 when I had no experience. Now I've got tons of experience, but I was consumed by fear. And I think the reason yeah. for it was because I knew I just wasn't in the same physical condition that I was in in 2021 when I finished second place behind Francois and ran yeah. a really fast time. Yeah. And so again, deep intuition probably signaling, hey, this is not going to be an easy day, bro. Like <laughs> you didn't do what was necessary to cover the course yeah. in, you know, the same style. And then foolishly employing a strategy that was hopefully going to make me competitive to win the race without the mm -hmm. fitness necessary to win the race. It ended up being a complete disaster, but critically, I did finish. Yes. Okay. Now, now uh, the Venn diagram of Dylan Bowman and Josh Rosenthal. Ha finally, we've crossed over. It was just two circles. <laughs> now we have some crossover. I actually, I actually spend the money on the race for that feeling of fear. I love that feeling of fear. And I love doing something that I have a low likelihood of finishing. I wish I could finish 100 miles. I wish my body like gave up and ran out at mile 100, but it gives out much sooner. But so now, you know, think about that hard rock. And now I'm, I'm asking for advice when you, you know, and, and the documentary is out there so people can, can go, can go deep on your story in that you're, you're dark, it, you know, it's, it's late race, there's carnage and you decide to put another foot in front of another, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You get up and you go, how did you do that? And how did you know you weren't injured you, you know what I mean? Like there's a point of also in that it's like, Hey, am, am I injured and I shouldn't keep going or am I okay? And not, this is mental or I'm just going to be a little extra sore. So there's the, th that's the whole soup that I'm talking about here that I'm trying to work through. Yeah. So things unraveled for me around mile 60 at hard mm -hmm. rock at the Uray aid station going in the counterclockwise yeah. direction, mm -hmm. got really bad going over Virginia's pass Ended up recovering a little bit in Telluride. So this is roughly mile 72. And so I left Telluride. And at that point, I knew my crew was not going to be coming to Chapman, the final crew checkpoint. Mm. So as I left Telluride, I sort of felt like, okay, you got to make it home now. You got to make it all the way around, even though things yeah. weren't going well. And then going up and over the top of Oscars Pass, and down into Chapman, things really spiraled and got out of control. People started passing me right and left. I was mm -hmm. like having to stop to gasp for air, bent over my poles, and my legs were fried, <clears throat> excuse me, et cetera. And so I ended up vocalizing my skepticism that I was going to be able to make it to my pacer, great guy, great athlete named Rich Lockwood. He was there very supportive, mm -hmm. trying to encourage me along, ended up stumbling into the Chapman aid station and told the aid station captain there that I was quitting. I'm done. It's over. Oh, yeah. And there was a film crew there to document it. Also told the <laughs> film crew, Hey, I'm out. I'm done. I just got to rest for a little while. The aid station captain there is a guy named Bill Shum. And mm -hmm. he and I are now super close and we're now actually combining forces on a new thing that we just announced to the free trail community that's going to try and mobilize the community around volunteer work based on our experience together. Nice. And basically he babysat me at the Chapman aid station for two and a half hours. I was asleep for most of that time. 
Okay. They fed me coffee. They fed me donuts. And eventually it, it just became apparent that like you can still make it, or at least you can try again to make it. Mm-hmm. And psychologically, I got to a point where it was like, okay, I at least have to try to make it. And if I get two miles out of the aid station, I can always come back and catch a ride back to Silverton, but I at least need to give it one more shot. And I don't know where that resolve came from. Honestly, yeah. Josh, I think you can probably relate to this, but I had had this vision in my head for months because we have a now 16 month old son. He was just under a year at a year old at the time of hard rock yeah. 2023. And I had this vision in my head of like, obviously having the perfect day and carrying my son and kissing the rock as the symbolic <laughs> finishing of my hard rock loop. Yep. And I just couldn't get it out of my head. I was like, man, I don't want my son to like his first race experience, even though he'll never remember this to be his dad quitting at mile 82, yeah. you know, like I yeah. still want to carry him to the rock and kiss it. Yeah. And that was really a thing that mm-hmm. I think kept me going. And eventually I was able to cover those final 18 miles, big thanks to Rich Lockwood, my pacer, for for helping me out through that stretch. And even though it's objectively my worst performance ever, it's one of the most <laughs> proud performances ever, for sure. Yeah. Do you, you know, as we kind of get close to landing the plane here, do, do you attribute that moment of, okay, you're coming in, you think it's over, everyone thinks it's over, there's, there were certain components that went into that. There was, sounds like there was some rest involved. There was some food involved and there was some external motivation involved. I mean, are, are you an exter- externally motivated person? Like someone saying something to you can kind of, you can alter your will in response to what that person is saying. I think I'm a very self-critical person mm. and knowing the shame that I would personally feel to have yeah. failed at that point. I mean, I'm 82 miles in. It's not like I was I would be dropping at mile 40 after I turned my ankle. It was like I was just blown out. I raced like an idiot, went way too hard, blew up, exploded, yeah. and then struggled to get to 82. I wasn't injured. Didn't think I was injured to your earlier yeah. question. Yeah. So it was more of like you will be so personally embarrassed and you will regret this if you pull the plug here. You got to at least yeah. try. And yeah. there was some like mysterious stuff like going over Oster's Pass that I just described where I was like gasping for air. I really could felt like I there was something wrong. So that's yeah. where it was like, okay, I at least left the option open where if I get halfway up Grand Swamp Pass and I can't breathe, I'll just walk back and drop. Mm. So I did have that in the back of my head. Luckily, I got over the top of that pass. And at that point, it was like, okay, you got no choice now. You got to make it home. Yeah. Any, anything that uh, you'd recommend from a strength training standpoint that you know maybe helps you be ready for that mile 82? Or let's say you, my, maybe my, your, my version of 82, maybe it's mile 70. Is there anything I can do from a strength training standpoint that you would recommend that could maybe push that 70 back to 82. You know what I mean? Probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert on the subject, but you know, those like skater squats and, uh, you know, deadlifts and the bent knee calf raises, those are sort of the core of my, uh, lower body, uh, 
yeah. strength regimen. But I do think that especially for those of us in our late thirties, early forties, and the case of myself and yourself, yeah. it is important to to prioritize that stuff because I, I do think that we do lose that strength that we naturally have as we age. Yeah. And it is critical to remain, you know, to maintain structural integrity of our body and keep moving <laughs> yeah. forward as uh, the yeah. miles start accumulating. So yeah. hope that helps. Yeah, man. Well, hey, Dylan Bowman, thanks for your time. Uh, obviously, I'm a huge free trail fan. I know a lot of people are that are listening, but hopefully there's a lot that aren't and, and we'll discover it for the first time. I'll make sure and set you up real nice at the beginning of this podcast with all of the the free trail uh, you know, promo that I can possibly give you. But uh, thank you for doing this. Thank you, man. Yeah, and likewise, I, I super appreciate everything you guys are doing at Borderlands and Thank just you. love the look and feel and style of everything you guys are working on. And I know the app is coming or is, yeah, I was just testing out? it. Yeah. I was just testing it right before, you know, it's, it's a funny feeling to, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, I always talk about, you've got to be a little bit embarrassed or you've waited too long. And it's like, God, I feel like I'm too embarrassed by this, <laughs> but it's also like, it's time. I just got to throw it out there. I'm going to get, I'm, I'm going to get it handed to me, but hopefully there's enough good people out there that give me constructive feedback and, it goes somewhere, but if not, um, yeah. I'll die trying. Well, you know that uh, we started with an app too, and that was a complete disaster. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it was like the first step towards kind of figuring out what we were supposed to be doing. And you're yeah. working with a much cooler concept than we were. So yeah, well, we'll see. I think in the end, just what I love is that I've I've found this particular group of of trail runners that I you know just that I resonate with so much that think about it similar similarly to me and. Uh, it's I love it. It's a yeah. dream come true to be in the industry. Amazing. Yeah. All right, man. Well, maybe we'll see you next time. Yep. Thanks, Appreciate Josh. you taking the time and, and we'll be in touch. Yeah.